Well, guys, good morning. We're going to be continuing our series, Light of the World. And so I don't do this often, but I'm going to show you my hand. I'm going to show you my hand that by the end of this message, this is what I would love to see done. This is what I've been praying and even fasting that is done. I want every person watching who's made a profession of faith, maybe you walked away, maybe you wandered away, maybe you drifted away. I want you to come back and I want you to re-engage. That is my hope. That is my hope. At the end of this message, that is what happens. And maybe for you watching online, you're local. You live in the Fredericksburg area and you haven't been attending uh, in person. And I'll be honest, there really is no reason not to. Um, I want to see people re-engaged. I want them to come back. And so that's my hope. You have my cards out on the table as we start. That's my hope. It's interesting that the darkness in you, the darkness in me, and the darkness would be sin, shame, um, disappointment with God. Um, it hasn't put out the light. So when you've made a profession of faith, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Like you, you've made, you're in a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus, the light of the world, okay? And, and maybe for you, you've been running, maybe you've been drifting, and every now and then, that darkness inside of us, that sin, it cannot, it cannot extinguish the light. The light is every now and then, you're tempted to do something and you feel like it's not the right thing to do, all right? That's the light. Every now and then, your conscience is dinged. Maybe you're listening and watching for the first time in a long time. Your conscience is dinging. Man, there's something better. There's something that's going to fulfill you more than what you've been trying to do. That's, that's the light. That, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, stop what you're doing, turn around. In order to, to invite you to, reconsider, re-engage, I like to tell you the person that I relate most to in the Christmas story. And I believe that the person you relate to in the Christmas story, believe it or not, it's not Jesus. It's not even Joseph. It's not even the wise men. No, it's a guy by the name of Herod. I believe there's a little bit of Herod in you and a little bit of Herod in me. And Herod, he struggled with a darkness and is part of the human condition or the fact that he was human and he was dealing with this darkness, this sin nature that was in him. And that's our condition. We, we are constantly dealing with this. Okay. Our constant temptation is to be in control. Now, for those who have taken the Enneagram, maybe you're a one, a three, a four, or an eight, you can relate to that. You want to be in control, right? Your, your, your bent is to be in control. Well, we're all tempted to be in control at times. And in Herod's case, he was king. So that meant he had authority. That meant he had control. And he woke up one day that we're going to read about thinking that he was in control, doing everything in, in his power to stay in control. Then all of a sudden he realized he may not be in control. Guys, here's the sort of the takeaway. The more we attempt to control our lives, the more chaotic our lives will be. The more out of control we really are. The more we attempt to control our lives, the more out of control we really are. And we find ourselves trying to control the light like Herod. 
Here's the deal, guys. Jesus came to rescue us, not to compete with us. He came to rescue us, not to compete with us. So let's learn a little bit more about Herod. Herod, who identified as a Jew, he was the client king, which meant that he was a non-Roman given authority by Rome to rule over a territory. And so they gave him the territory of Judea. He was smart, he was talented, he was bold, and this guy was courageous. He oversaw building projects. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, His goal was that he would have eternal fame. That meant that he would establish his lineage as king of Israel. He wanted people to talk about him thousands of years down the road as being the great king of Israel. Here's a story sort of show you some insight on it, on a, maybe uh, his character. Here's a little bit about Herod. Herod knew he ruled at the pleasure of Rome. In an instant, he could be taken out. In an instant, he could be given more. He knew that everything that he had was because of Rome. So he did everything he could to keep his masters happy. So Julius Caesar, he died in 44 BC. His nephew Octavian would become the new Caesar. Well, Mark Antony began tracking down and killing those responsible for Julius's murder. Now, those two were at war with who was going to become the next Caesar. Of course, people believe that it was going to be Octavian because he was, yes, the nephew of Julius. Well, Herod was in the habit of sending lavish gifts to Mark Antony. See, his money was on Antony. And then he sent also lavish presents to his mistress, the Egyptian queen Cleopatra. So he's all on the line, man. All his chips are in that Mark Antony is going to be the new Caesar. Well, civil war broke out about 13 years later. And in short, Octavian beat Antony. Antony went back to Egypt with Cleopatra, Herod, then he aligned himself with a loser. I mean, the guy that he put all his chips on ended up losing. So he had a decision to make. Do I do my best to hold on to what I have or do I go to war with Octavian? Or do I go back and say, Octavian, you're the guy, I got it wrong. Well, he made a very bold decision. Instead of fleeing to Egypt to be with Antony or preparing for war with with Octavian, he actually sailed to the island to where Octavian was. And in a brilliant speech, Herod boasted about his loyalty to Mark Antony and promised the very same thing to Octavian. Well, he was impressed. And not only did he allow him to reign control over Judea, but he actually gave him more territories. Now, Herod was an ambitious man, but his ambition, it controlled him. Herod had 10 wives and he had several sons. And one of those he planned to establish as king. Well, he kept changing his mind. At his will, he changed his will four times. And this final will, he gave it to a son who he was not planning on. Herod was consumed with trying to control the future. He wanted to control and protect the longevity of his kingdom. And as we've mentioned before, trying to control chaos results in more chaos. Herod 
he was so, he, he was so trying to control this, control the fact that he was going to have a descendant after a descendant after a descendant, make sure that his lineage was going to be in Israel. He killed his wife, and he killed two of his sons because he believed they were trying to kill him. So finally, he makes it to his 60s. Then he gets this sick, painful kidney disease. And during this time, he received news that terrified him. In a town of Bethlehem was going to be a toddler who threatened everything Herod had planned to keep his lineage going in Israel. This is what Matthew writes. And Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so in case you have your Bible handy, you're more than welcome to turn there. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is what Matthew writes. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. At that time, some wise men, wise men were men who studied the stars from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now imagine what Herod's thinking. I'm the king. Uh, I didn't have any babies either. Like this is this is weird. This is not news I want to hear. This is unsettling. He says they say we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now these guys who were studying the stars, they lived in what would be modern day Iran. It was old time Persia, and Persia is very important in the Old Testament. Why? Because we had Queen Esther. And then we also had Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Maybe you grew up in church at Sunday school hearing about Daniel in the lion's den. It's the same Daniel. And he was high up in the government and he had a lot of writings. And those writings were kept. And those writings were studied about what prophecies and predictions would end up happening years down the road. Well, these guys studied those and they knew about the star Daniel wrote about. So King Herod, he receives this news, and he's deeply disturbed, as was everyone in Jerusalem. See, this was personal for Herod. See, the Jews already had a king. It was, it was him. And then he's going to choose the next successor, you know, one of his sons. See, Herod was made king of the Jews by Rome, and he was already making plans for the next king. See, there had been no way there has been a, a king born. There's no way. Because if there was a king born, that meant that everything that he's worked for, everything that he's trying to control is going to be turned upside down. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, see, he's a Jew. He identifies as a Jew, but he was not a practicing Jew. It's just like those who... um, I have family members that are Catholic, but they're not practicing Catholic. They identify as Catholic, but they're not practicing. I, I, know, I have family members that identify as Christian, but they are not practicing Christians. Okay? Sort of the same thing. He identified as a Jew, but he didn't understand what these wise men were reading. And so he brings the religious scholars in and says, guys, what are they talking about? And they were clear. They're like, no, this was prophesied about in Micah 5 too. It says, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. 
Then Herod, he called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, he said, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Do you really think he was going to do that? After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Just as the prediction, the prophecy said. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child, Jesus, with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. I mean, these magi, these these wise men, they, they came from 800, 900 miles away. And they brought gifts. They followed the light. And they bowed down to the toddler king. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt. With the child and his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He got outsmarted by the wise men. He he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. And based on the wise men's report, of the star's first appearance. This guy got outwitted by the wise men, right? He spent a, listen, he spent a lifetime controlling outcomes, or at least trying to control outcomes. And he was very successful, but in this moment, he was not successful. Historians say that shortly after the instructions were sent to the soldiers, they went to Bethlehem and they killed between 20 to 40 boys and then Herod ended up dying a very painful death. So painful that he had, he had tried to attempt suicide, but his cousin stopped him. Josephus, a historian, he says that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he commanded a, a large group of really important men to come to Jericho. And when he would die, he wanted them executed so that the people would mourn. How, how, how disturbed is that? See, the more we try to control the situation, more chaos will pursue. Fortunately, Herod's family released those important men. And so the story continues. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. Guys, in a moment, Herod the Great became a footnote in the story of Jesus, the toddler king. Like, imagine explaining all of this to Herod. Imagine explaining this to him. Look, all your plans, all your sacrifices that you have made to preserve your lineage, gone. Herod, every year, people all around the world, is gonna, they're going to read your name. Not because you built this magnificent temple not because you built these seaports in Caesarea and Masada, 
They're gonna they're not gonna remember your your name because you confronted Caesar Augustus with so much wit and and cleverness. No. They're gonna say your name and read your name as a footnote, as the one that tried to extinguish the light. See, you are now Herod the butcher, not Herod the builder. The world's gonna remember you, Herod as the king who attempted to resist and even extinguish the light of the world. Herod, you missed your opportunity. Herod, you, you, were, you were so close. You were five miles from the birth of the king, yet you were too insecure, you were too scared, you were too obsessed with control to see it. Now fast forward 80 years, Herod is long gone, Jesus had been arrested, crucified, and rose again. The temple had been destroyed. John, who had seen it all, who sat at the king's feet, summarized it this way. And we read this last week. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines. And then the word shine, the verb, is a present action indicative tense. It means the light is even shining now. That means nothing's going to extinguish it. Many have tried and they've failed. Many will continue to try and they will fail because the light is shining even now in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So how does this story apply to you? How does it apply to me? What will your story be in relation to the light of the world? That's the question I want you to ask is, what will your story be in relation to the light of the world? Will you have resisted like Herod or will you have worshiped like the wise men? Will you have built your kingdom or will you have participated in his kingdom? Will you have clung to what would eventually be taken away one day. You're going to lose it one day. There's no U-Haul that follows you to heaven. Or will you have surrendered and allowed God to do something big through you? It's you or it's God. It's you being in control and experiencing more chaos or it's you surrendering to God and experiencing more peace. You're in control. Or God's in control. See, you were made for better. I, I was made for better. I was made for more. You were made for more. It's why it doesn't matter what you do, what you have, who you date, who you marry, what you drive, what you accomplish. Because none of that stuff will be enough. None of that stuff will be enough. None of that stuff will satisfy us. None of that stuff will fulfill us. None of that stuff will be enough. I need someone that is going to be enough. Guys, you and I, we've been invited to accept the good news that the light of the world is enough and will always be present. One day, someone's going to tell your story. One day, someone's going to tell what your relationship was with the light of the world. What story do you want them to say? What, what, what story do you want told? Will you say 
or will they say that you are the resistor like Herod or you are the worshiper like the wise men? Will they say that you went from being the resistor to the worshiper? Or will they say you went from being the worshiper to the resistor? What are they going to say? What do you want them to say? I want to tell you the story of John D. Rockefeller Sr. He was strong and he was husky, but he was small. Early on, he determined that he was going to earn money and he was going to drive himself to the limit. So at age 33, he earned his first million dollars. At age 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world. At age 53, he was the world's first billionaire. And then he developed a sickness. His hair fell out of his head. His eyelashes, eyebrows disappeared. And he was shrunken in like a mummy. His weekly income was $1 million, but he only digested milk and cheese. So he didn't have much to live for, even though he had so much bank. He was so hated in Pennsylvania that they had that he had to have bodyguards day and night. He couldn't sleep, couldn't really eat. He stopped smiling, and he could not enjoy life anymore. The doctors predicted that he would only have about a year to live. The newspaper had gleefully written his obituary in advance just in case he died before the year was up. Those sleepless nights, it got him thinking. He heard the echoes of his Baptist preacher growing up. And that Baptist preacher was encouraging him to make as much money as he could and then give give away as much as he could. And then he realized all of a sudden during one night that this was his God-given gift. This was his God-given purpose. That money wasn't everything. That he was pursuing the wrong thing. So for 20 years, he was pursuing the wrong thing. Then the next morning, people found a brand new man. He began helping churches get established. He supported missionaries. He helped the poor, the needy. Um, He established the Rockefeller Foundation, which went to help fund medical research, and it led to the discovery of penicillin and other wonder drugs. See, John D. Rockefeller Sr. began to sleep well, began to eat well, and began to enjoy life like like none ever before. And it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with the light of the world, his God-given gift and his God-given purpose. See, the doctors had predicted that he would not live over 54, but yet he lived until 97. Why do I tell you that story? See, I think for some of us, man, we are going down the wrong road. We are trying to be in control. We are trying to do this. We are trying to do that. And we're trying to do all of that apart from God. And God's like, no, 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 no. None of that stuff is going to satisfy you. None of that stuff is going to be enough. You're always going to want more. But when you get me, you're not going to want more. You're going to have enough. The good news is the darkness that's in you cannot put the light out that's in you. That your sin nature is not powerful than the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like for you to just give in 
for you to surrender and to re-engage with Jesus, the light of the world, and also with the local church, what would it look like? See, would you bow your knee and worship the king who has included you in his kingdom? Because he has something for you to do that is going to outlast you. See, the, the wise men, the magi, they got right. They bowed their knee to the toddler king. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are we going to be like Herod? Or are we going to be like the wise men? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to really be faced with the truth. Maybe for some of us, we put it off. Fact is, we have some control issues. We're trying to control the future. We're trying to control our lives. Maybe we're even trying to control other people's lives, and it just doesn't work. We have more and more chaos. We're experiencing more. And so, Father, I'm just asking you, please help us to surrender to you. Surrender to the light of the world. Help us to bow your uh, bow our knee to you. And so, Father, maybe for those for the very first time, something has pulled them in to hear a message like this today. Something has pulled them and something has Help them see that, man, there's something more. There's something more to life, and they've missed it. And so hopefully today they realize that, man, Jesus is everything to them. So help them to surrender to Jesus. And I pray for those who are followers of Jesus who have been completely isolated. They've put themselves on an island to themselves, away from you, God, away from others. And I just ask that that stops. I ask that they would re-engage with you and re-engage with the local church. God, please, please do that. God, thank you. Thank you that you are enough and with you we don't have to want for anything else. We love you and thank you for this opportunity to reflect in Jesus' name.